0: Welcome. This podcast is going to be on qualitative and mixed method research designs. This is from the podcast series, Nursing Research Basics. So let's get started. In both qualitative and quantitative research methods, there are some common elements to both of these types of study designs. The researcher needs to identify the phenomenon that they're interested in studying. Then they need to structure the study and and plan the design. That includes deciding on what is going to be studied, so the research question. Also looking at who you're going to study, how you're going to recruit the members or the subjects into the study, deciding on how the data are going to be collected, which type of tools are going to be used, and then deciding on which type of data analysis is going to occur. So structuring the study is an important part of designing both qual and quantitative research. Then you have to gather the data depending on whether or not the researcher is going to use survey instruments or actual physical equipment, such as blood pressure monitors or EKG machines. It might be through interviews or focus groups. Once the data are gathered, then the data needs to be analyzed. And then finally, the findings need to be described. So this is common for both qualitative and quantitative research. When we're talking about qualitative research, there are some differences. And just as an an overview, qualitative research usually has very broadly stated research questions. It's a different approach to knowledge generation than quantitative studies, which are deductive. Qualitative studies are inductive. There's a variety of philosophical underpinnings and research methods to qualitative research. I've read that there are at least 20 qualitative research methods. The type of method that's chosen is guided by the research question, which usually embraces a different set of values and activities in order to answer the particular question. Qualitative research is usually used to understand human experiences and the realities and the meanings that are given to those experiences from the participants, in other words, the humans. So you're really trying to understand the quality of a phenomenon as opposed to either the quantity, the frequency, the amount, or the intensity of a particular phenomenon. Qualitative research is conducted within the natural environment. and The assumption of qualitative research is that social experience shapes the meaning of reality. The purposes of qualitative research, then, are to generate rich, descriptive data in order to guide nursing practice. Qualitative research can also contribute to instrument development and to developing nursing theory, and it lays the groundwork of future studies. So we're looking at the human experience of health, trying to examine human behaviors of person who are either living with or living through a particular phenomenon in order to get a broader understanding of that phenomenon and deeper insight into the meaning of that phenomenon and how it affects human experience. There are different approaches to the research methodology when we're looking at the qualitative paradigm versus the quantitative. For one thing, there are different beliefs. Quantitative research is what we term empirical observation. The quantitative or positive, positivist paradigm states that truth can only be known if it can be measured. Quantitative research is considered objective, uh, is from an objective paradigm versus the subjective paradigm with qualitative research. In qualitative research, qualitative researchers believe that truth is dynamic and that we can know that truth from focusing on humans in their natural settings and finding out how humans ascribe meaning to certain experiences in certain situations. In other words, we're looking at the life context of a person. Quantitative research looks more at parts versus the whole. Qualitative research is considered more holistic. It is the EMIC view, E-M-I-C, EMIC view means an insider view of the phenomenon versus quantitative research, which takes an ETIC view, E-T-I-C. ETIC is an outsider's view. The researcher is very much an observer and doesn't have any effect on the, or is not supposed to have any effect on the research being conducted. Again, as I said, quantitative research is deductive and qualitative research is an inductive process. Also, it can also be looked at, at a simplified process versus complex. Human behavior certainly is complex. So trying to figure out the meaning of human experience is a very intensive, labor-intensive process, and it's very context-laden instead of context-free, which is... In, in quantitative research, context-free means we're trying to control all the extraneous variables which could have an alternate explanation of the findings in our quantitative studies versus context laden, we're trying, we're looking at all the different pieces of the human experience. So we so extraneous variables are not considered extraneous. They're considered an important part of the qualitative research process. So in qualitative research, the meaning emerges from the data. Experiences are only known by the individual and that individual's subjective description of the experience. And as a result, there are many dimensions that are involved in qualitative research. There are different research activities. Sampling issues are another difference between quantitative and qualitative research. In quantitative research, we're looking for a representative sample. And we try to get, we try to figure out the sample size a priori, or before the research is even conducted. And sample size can be figured out using a power analysis program. It's also estimated from prior research studies. Now in qualitative research we still want a representative sample, but we use what's called a purposeful sampling. We're trying to engage participants who have either lived the experience or are going through the experience or the process that we're interested in studying. So we hand select the sample in a qualitative study. Sample size is usually not predetermined in a qualitative study. The sample size is sufficient once the data Are not bringing forward any new themes or any new processes. So, this is called data saturation, where the information, once the information becomes repetitive, then the data is said to be saturated. In other words, no new themes, no new concepts or patterns are coming forward from the data, from the participants. So no no new ideas are occurring by adding more people. So at that point, the data is saturated. The qualitative sample is complete. In qualitative research, this is a more intensive study with fewer people. So small sample sizes are acceptable in qualitative research. In quantitative research, you're looking at a more extensive study where you're trying to get usually as many people as possible in the sample and again there are calculations to figure out the appropriate sample depending on the type of question you're asking the effect size you're looking for and the significance level and the power that you're looking for to try to find a difference if one actually exists the types of instruments that are used are also different in qualitative and quantitative research In quantitative research, we typically use questionnaires or tools to measure a physiologic response, for example. The researcher tries to control for the extraneous variables in quantitative research. However, in qualitative research, the researcher is the instrument. And that is a term specific to qualitative research, the researcher as instrument. And that basically means that the researcher is aware of their own values and biases for a particular phenomenon. And they do what's called bracketing. And that's done in all of the qualitative approaches, where the researcher puts their own biases aside. So so you identify your own biases, and then you try to put those to the side so that your biases do not bias how you are listening to the participants and the types of questions that you're asking. So you try, the researcher tries to go where the data lead and doesn't presuppose where the data is going to lead. Okay, so there's uh, the instruments then are usually interviews and observations in order to gather data in the natural setting. The judgment of scientific rigor is slightly different in quantitative and qualitative studies. So in quantitative studies, we're looking for the reliability and the validity of the research instruments. So in other words, you're looking at reliability and validity of the instruments themselves. That looks at how precise is the data and how consistent are the data being collected. And we're also then looking at the internal and external validity of the study as a whole. And we're trying to control for certain threats to that type of validity. We try to judge the merit or the scientific rigor the scientific merit of a study based on how well the researcher controlled and tried to account for the possible threats to internal and external validity. In qualitative research, you're looking for also reliability and validity of the data, but in qualitative research, that's called the trustworthiness of the data. In other words, how trustworthy is the data so that you can make correct conclusions if you would? So the reliability and validity components of a qualitative study as we're looking at credibility, dependability, or auditability, fittingness, or confirmability, and transferability. We'll talk about these mean here toward the end of this podcast. And then again, the deductive versus the inductive approach. We're looking at a numerical summary of the findings in quantitative research versus a narrative summary of the findings in qualitative. In qualitative, the meaning emerges from the data. It's a very mosaic type of approach. The researcher collects bits of info and then pieces them together and they step back then to see the whole picture of human experience. That's what's being studied. And the whole, a qualitative researcher believes that the whole picture is greater than the parts and cannot be known by just looking at the parts or the bits by themselves. So the narrative is to try to capture and describe those bits so that we can put them together and understand the whole of the human experience. There are many different types of qualitative designs. I'm just going to talk about some of the more common types. One of the types is a case study, and that is looking at individuals or groups. So an in-depth look at individuals or groups. And when we have a series of similar cases to try to examine a phenomenon, that's called a collective case series. So these case studies can be just about one person, or could be about a small group of people. But in other in, in regardless, a case study can contain both quantitative and qualitative data in order to try to understand the phenomenon. So this is usually a very unique story. There a case study is usually analyzed using using content analysis and that is basically a way that you're looking at all the information to try to come up with common themes or patterns. Narrative inquiry is storytelling. That's a very common way uh, that qualitative researchers use to conduct a qualitative study. Phenomenology is the process of learning and constructing the meaning of human experience through intensive dialogue with persons who are actually living the experience. So it's an investigation of the lived experience, and, and those words are kind of, those are synonymous, if you will, with phenomenology, the lived experience. So whenever you see that in a purpose statement or a research question, then the approach should be a phenomenological approach to that particular study. The different elements of phenomenology, its philosophical roots are from Husserl. The point of phenomenology, again, is trying to study the dimension of the day-to-day existence of a particular group of people. The perspective, researchers' perspective is bracketed, so you're, again, trying to take whatever you believe your own biases about a certain phenomenon, and put those to the side. The purpose of that is so that you don't lead the participants in in your questions or your prompts. You're trying to present theories later on that, that have influenced the researcher, and the researcher really needs to make their views explicit when they're writing the research report. The sample is a purposeful sample, again and you're looking at, you're trying to select people who are living the particular experience that you're interested in. So, for example, if a researcher is interested in the lived experience of heart transplant patients or waiting for transplant, we'll just make it more general, and patients waiting for transplant, then the lived experience, the sample would be those patients who are waiting on an organ transplant. That makes sense, right? So that's a purposeful sample. You only want patients who are actually living this phenomenon to have a good sample or a representative sample of that particular phenomenon. Data gathering are through written means or through you might interview and tape an interview. There are different methods from different researchers who have different steps in their particular process for for phenomenology. So you might see a researcher reference von Kamm, who uses written descriptions, or Kalazi, who tapes interviews and then transcribes those interviews. So those are all specific researchers' methods for the phenomenological process. Data analysis, you move from the participant description and the researcher then tries to synthesize the descriptions from all the participants. Usually the transcripts are read through very um, sensitively. The researcher tries to identify thoughts and themes, significant phrases. The whole idea is to try to distill, if you will, a central meaning from the experiences. The final synthesis then is usually an exhaustive description of the phenomenon of interest and that becomes the lived experience. Data collection and data analysis usually occur simultaneously. So as themes and patterns and phrases are emerging, the researcher will use those to develop new questions for participants that they're interviewing etc now ethnography is another common qualitative method ethnography is defined as the scientific description of cultures that provide knowledge and understanding. And realize that cultures can be different ethnic cultures, but it doesn't have to be. It can also be geographic, experiential, or organizational cultures. So for example, I had a colleague who studied the critical care unit and looked actually at the culture of night shift versus day shift. And depend if you've never worked one of those shifts, if you're a night shift person, you know that there's a certain culture. There's a certain way you do things on night shift that are different from day shift. If you're a day shift person, again, you have a a different culture. Ethnography, you're looking at the emic view or the insider's view. Quantitative research looks at an outsider's view or an etic view. The purpose of ethnography is to understand the natives' view of their world and it does require the researcher to enter that particular world. That's called immersion and that means that the researcher studies the culture from within. Ethnography is both a research technique and the ethnography or the study itself is the actual product of this research. The purpose is to to try to describe the local world or studying patterns of behaviors, dimensions, social, social dimensions, relationships, cultural, political, economic, institutional. The research question usually talks about life ways or patterns of behaviors within a social context. A lot of times the research question is just implied in the purpose statement. The perspective, again, the researcher tries to make sense of the world as an insider, and again, uses the bracketing technique to put their own biases aside. The sampling plan is to select the group that the researcher wants to study. Studying, for example, night shift in the critical care unit, you would, you would choose a critical care unit to study and the night, shift, the night shift staff would be your sample. Key informants is a particular word that's used in qualitative research. You definitely want to talk to the people who have the knowledge or status or communication skills and can teach the researcher about the phenomenon of interest. And the phenomenon is then described usually through examples. Grounded theory is another common, qualitative research technique. The grounded theory method is an inductive approach that implements a systematic set of procedures to arrive at a theory about basic social processes. The aim is to try to discover the underlying social forces that shape human behavior. And the actual theoretical base of grounded theory is, is called symbolic interactionism. It's a relationship between self and society. It's an ongoing process of symbolic communications whereby individuals create a social reality. Glaser and Strauss developed a me- uh, the early method here where the theory itself emerges from being grounded in the data. So that's where the term comes from, that the researcher is so grounded in the data that the theory just emerges from the, those data, the data that's collected. So it's direct empirical evidence of a theory or a process. The theory generated reflects the discipline then, OK? And then this theory might be used as a conceptual framework to test hypotheses in a quantitative study. So grounded theory constructs theory where none exists currently researcher is interested in the social processes it's very action or change oriented the research question is usually in terms of a process how does x respond to y so for example here's a research question how does the family as an intergenerational system respond to the birth of a first grandchild. The perspective of the researcher, the researcher usually does some lit review, usually just enough to get an idea of what's going on, but not too much to bias the researcher, okay? So they want to make sure that the theory emerges from the data and not from the literature that was out there earlier. The sample again would be the group experiencing the event that the researcher is interested in. Data collection is gathered through interviews, through observation, from which the researcher will write what we call field notes. So, as the researcher is observing the processes, they're writing notes to themselves so that they can be aware of the different factors that go into the specific process that they're studying the interviews might be taped and then they're then they're transcribed data analysis is called theoretical sampling this is when you're analyzing and sampling and collecting the data again at the same time there are some, there's some terminology that grounded theory uses, open coding, which is where the data are compared constantly and then clustered to form categories. The related literature is then re- reviewed at the same time and continuously. The literature itself is, con- is considered data and that's also compared in the process. Axial coding is an intense coding process around a single theme. And then selective coding is usually the final step in the process where concepts are integrated around a core category. And then the theory itself, the categories are filled in with other data that need further development. And the theory is then refined. The historical research method is another type of qualitative method. This is defined as a systematic uh, compilation of data and critical presentation, evaluation, and interpretation of facts regarding people, events, and occurrences of the past in order to guide the future. So the purpose of the historical research method is to shed light on the past. So the phenomenon of interest is a past event that is going to be studied to try to give guidance for the future. The research question is usually implicit. For example, uh, one study by Bear questioned how nursing gets caught in what they called shifting social priorities. The perspective of the researcher is to try to, again, understand the information without biases. So again, bracketing comes into play here. The sample is accomplished by identifying all the possible data sources, looking at written documents, video, photos, interviews with witnesses. Again, we're talking about a past event, okay? The data collection um, would include possibly looking at reference lists to see the types of documents or studies that were used in the past. Analysis of the data is looking at the data for importance, looking at the data for validity, external criticism, being able to judge then the authenticity of the documents that are used, asking the question is the data so- source what it seems to be. For example, if there's a letter from Florence Nightingale, then there would have to the analysis would have to be whether or not that was truly a letter from Florence Nightingale. So looking at language that's used, how where the letter was found, etc., all those different sources. Reliability of historical research is called, is an internal criticism, um, looking at that the researcher needs to then be familiar with the error that they're researching, the type of language, the customs and the habits that were in process during that time, because then that's going to help you put these documents and these data sources in context. And obviously having primary sources is the best form of data. Let's look at ethics and qualitative research. Of course, all research needs to be ethically conducted. There still has to be informed consent from the participants. Do notice in qualitative research that we use the term participants rather than subjects. That goes back to the underlying philosophy of qualitative and quantitative research. The research usually takes place in a naturalistic setting. So again, there uh, are some ethical issues involved with conducting the research. In some, a lot of times, the researchers will go to somebody's home. Uh, you'll have to look at the ability to tape, to videotape, to audiotape, and the consent required for those particular techniques to be used. The researcher-participant interaction, there's also, while the researcher is also the instrument, if you remember researcher as instrument, that has some ethical consequences along with that. And then the emergent, emergent nature of the design is also ethically guided. So that the fact that you don't pre-plan Everything in a qualitative design, you're you're pre-planning a lot of it. For example, you might have a structured interview questionnaire where you will have outlined the questions and the prompts that you're going to use. However, many qualitative researchers use a use a semi-structured interview where they have an idea of the types of questions, but then additional questions or prompts are going to come from the responses from the participants. So the fact that the research design is changing can have some ethical implications. Validity and reliability in qualitative research. Just a reminder, remember that validity is the extent to which the research findings represent reality. So you're asking yourself, does the information make sense when compared to the other information that's gathered? Reliability is, is the information that's gathered from the research informants accurate? And is the data collector reliable? So when we're talking about interviews and observations, so you have to be careful. The re- qualitative researcher needs to be careful of carelessness and bias that can be introduced into the setting. The research consumer needs to evaluate the trustworthiness, therefore, of qualitative. Of qualitative data, we're talking about the scientific rigor of the qualitative study itself. Not only just validating the description of the research study early on, how the informants were chosen, how the if the data was saturated, et cetera, then the actual results need to also be evaluated. There are four major areas that we look at in a qualitative study the first one is credibility and this is a question where you ask how true are the researchers findings to what the data actually were in other words when the researcher comes up with themes Are these true themes, did they really emerge from the data or did the researcher choose a theme because that's what they believe the data were saying? So one way that you check credibility is you're looking for a statement in the qualitative study that the results or that the themes went back to the participants. This is called member checking, in other words where you The researcher usually chooses a few people from the group that they interviewed. They ask them to review their categories or review the data to validate the findings, so that the member—it's also called peer checking, um, actually—but that the participant says, yes, this is true. This is true about this phenomenon. Yes, this is my experience. I can see that kind of thing. You can also do expert checking, where the researcher might have other qualitative researchers either on the team or outside of the team to again validate the data, the findings and the interpretations that came from the data. So again, these are all ways to decrease the researcher bias and to try to ensure that the themes and the categories really did emerge from the data and not from the researchers' presuppositions. Transferability is another way that we evaluate scientific rigor or trustworthiness of qualitative data. And this is actually comparable to generalizability that we look at in quantitative research. What you're really trying to do is to say, can I take these findings from this qualitative study and use it in my patient population or in other patient populations similar to the ones, again, that the researcher studied. So in this way, transferability, you're looking at setting sample and the the data itself to see whether or not you can transfer these findings into practice. Dependability is also called auditability in some textbooks. It basically means how dependable are the data and the decisions that were made. And this is where you want to have the researcher tell you that there is an audit trail. And that basically means that the researcher writes down the processes that they used throughout the study. So they'll talk about process, the decisions that they made based on certain data, how they coded, et cetera. There should be just a step-by-step written process that a research consumer or someone could look at to say, yes, I could get to these same conclusions as the researcher did if they follow the same process that the researcher has documented. Confirmability then is how neutral are the outcomes that are documented. So again, member and expert checking can help decrease researcher bias in this case. So let's talk just a little bit about mixed method research. Mixed methods are a combination of both quantitative and qualitative methods and techniques for both collecting data and for analyzing the data. The reason to use both quantitative and qualitative research techniques are because you usually then have a greater understanding of the phenomenon of interest that you're not having in quantitative data you a lot of times you're having to then infer the reasons why the subjects answered a question a certain way whereas when you incorporate both for example open-ended and closed-ended questions together the open-ended questions you could find out more information and and therefore have this the subjects tell you why they chose certain items or why they believe the way they do and it just gives you a richer study, a a richer understanding of the phenomenon. Um, Mixed methods are also, there are different terms used. You might hear triangulated studies, multi-method or integrated studies. Those are typically, uh, those are common terms for mixed method studies. Another fairly common mixed method study is called action research or participatory participatory action research. And we see this a lot in studies that are trying to translate evidence into practice. So in action research and participatory research, the researcher and the subjects or the participants mutually decide on the research questions and how a study is going to be conducted and analyzed etc so there are strengths and weaknesses realize of course of both types of research paradigms with the numbers or the quantitative studies you can get more precision of answers but with the qualitative or the narrative components you can learn more about the textual aspects of different experiences with mixed methods research you either can do both parts of the research the quant and the qual part simultaneously, so together at the same time, and there are some methods where you might start with the quantitative phase of the research and then go into the qualitative phase or vice versa. And there have been controversies between mixing the two methods, um, in particular, There are researchers who believe that if you are steeped in one research tradition versus the other, that you might have a bias toward the other tradition, that they can't mix because they are completely different frames of reference, if you will, um, or philosophies. And that's really not the case for the most part. There definitely are limitations to using mixed methods. The researcher and or the team need to understand how to conduct a, research, a quantitative study and a qualitative study very well. They need to understand the processes of each. If the researcher doesn't understand one of the processes, then they need to have somebody on the team that understands that research paradigm. So that just adds complexity to the study. A mixed method study can also be very expensive because it's very labor intensive to study all this information. The amount of information you get from a qualitative study, again, even though the sample size is usually very small, the amount of data can be reams and reams of data as far as the transcripts go and your field notes. and the literature and all this information that the researcher then, qualitative researcher then has to put together. So when you used a mixed met- method study, not only do you have the quantitative piece of the study, but that qualitative piece with the volume of data can also take a lot more time and labor to complete. So when you're critiquing qualitative research, realize that the basic elements of, of conducting a research study are going to be the same. So you're still looking at all those pieces of what is the phenomenon, what are the what's the purpose of the study, what are the research questions, um, how was the sample chosen, how many people were in the sample, when was data saturation reached, what type of themes then... Um, you know, what were the results, which in qualitative study is going to be the themes and the patterns that emerged from the data or the theory that emerged or the ethnography, et cetera. You still have to assess the rigor of the study, so qualitative research, is not an easier way to do research, trust me. Um, Again, it can be very complex, but you still have to look for those elements of what we consider the trustworthiness of the data. So those have to be documented when you are assessing a qualitative study. And you need to be able to find find that, find the rationale for how trustworthy the, the data are within the narrative of the study. You still have to assess, then, the quality of the data and whether the themes or the theory, et cetera, make sense in light light of how the data are portrayed in the report. And then you still have to look at the implications for practice. So that's the end of this podcast on qualitative research designs and mixed-method studies.